With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Trickeration. A production of iHeartRadio. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning into Trickeration, your number one destination for stories about deception in sports and the place to be to hear honest conversations about dishonest acts. I'm Matt Waxman, and I'm excited to announce this week we've got an exclusive. Exclusive. Breaking his silence on this very pod is an athlete who sent shockwaves through the American sports landscape. And all he had to do was pretend to be someone he was not. Enjoy the show. You know, I've been working with prime ministers. I've been working with athletes. I've been working with Hollywood stars. And these people are all doing this stuff which you won't hear about through your doctor. And when they saw... When, when once they'd let me into their circle and they were able to say, okay, welcome to the Bible. You know, a bit like that scene in American Pie. Welcome to the Bible. You've earned it. I just thought, wow, this is the information I came on this project to find out. You know, this is far more important to me and far more valuable than knowing whether Peyton Manning took HGH, you know? This voice you hear belongs to Liam Collins. Who is Liam Collins? He's a British hurdler who went undercover for Al Jazeera's investigative unit as an Olympic hopeful hoping to take performance-enhancing drugs for one last chance at a medal in Rio. The resulting documentary, The Dark Side, netted several big fish, including then-Broncos quarterback Peyton Manning. But I was less interested in talking to Liam about who was taking what and when and how. I wanted to know what it's like to go undercover, deep undercover. This is how he did it. I was always the guy almost made it, you know, I was fourth at the Olympic trials, I was third at the Commonwealth Games trials, I was always that, that nearly guy, and had I made an Olympics, I, I wasn't going to push for medals or, you know, I'd win it, I'd always done it cleanly as an athlete, but I, and I, you know, no doubt that sometimes I was beaten by guys who were performance enhancing, so they thought, well, this, this could be the perfect guy, you know, so they... They, they 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 called me. I was cutting I was cutting my lawn in Newcastle, and they they called me up, and he said, "We've got this project. We understand that you're at the end of your career, and that in order to get to Rio, you would almost definitely need to 
use some performance enhancing drugs. I thought they were going to want me to go on and do that. You know, it, it, it interested me because it's that sort of, oh, I wonder what I could do. But you know, I was relieved to say that we don't want you to do that. What we want you to do is play the part of a guy who's got money, but you want to give this one more roll of the dice to see if one last chance at making Olympics. And that's that's your that's your ruse, really. It sounded pretty, it sounded amazing, but also pretty scary because it's not something I've ever done before. What did they tell you originally was your responsibility in terms of scope? How, how long were they expecting this to last? How much time commitment were they expecting from you? It was quite vague. When I met them and they flew me to Washington, D.C. And I thought when I went to D.C., they were interviewing me. I thought they were interviewing me along with other people to see if I'd get the role. But straight away, they said, OK, let, let's get to work. So we went up to the hotel room and started making calls straight off the bat, you know, calling people in Canada. We were calling soft tissue therapists, chiropractors, and anyone at all who we thought was, what's the word, a dodgy coach, you know, so a dodgy, someone who was prepared to dabble in the dark side. The plan was to find out what, what athletes were doing, what the Jamaicans were doing, how were the Jamaicans producing the times they were producing, were they doing it legitimately, and could we could we penetrate the circles of doctors, clinicians, you know, pharmacists, etc., who were potentially involved in these rings? So that was the onset for us. It was just a, what can we find out? Let's see where this takes us. And what's the process for going undercover? Do they train you? Is there a lot of, you know, hours and hours of rigorous tutorials on how to come across as credible, how to answer this kind of question? I mean, is this something where they just say, be yourself, or they have a, a specific way to make you seem as credible as possible? I think lucky for them, I was very good already at doing this. I'd been a salesman in investments, and more important than that, I'd been a street performer for 20 years. Now, as a street performer, as an entertainer, my job in the street has always been to get people to stop, look at you, trust you, like you, and then pay you in a matter of 10 minutes. Total strangers, you know? And that's a skill that's built up over thousands and thousands and thousands of shows till eventually you learn the natural NLP, the neuro linguistic programming, what, what your body language is doing in time with what your mouth is doing, the tone of your voice, you know, too high, they won't like you. Um, arms folded, they'll feel you defensive. There's lots of things you can do as a performer to get people to engage and to like you. And for me, it was just a natural thing. It wasn't something I had to think about. And so I became really good at it very quickly at being able to get in front of someone, get them to trust me, like me, feel like I could bring something to their life. And so it was very much, very quickly, I was able to get them to trust me and open up. You said the word scary when you first were told about what was potentially happening. What part of it was scary and what were the potential fallouts from this? What could have happened if things went wrong? Well, the um, the team were always right, right by. The team were always very close by, whether that be they were in the van 
outside the building or around the corner. They were never far away. So I never felt threatened in terms of um, my life was in danger. But there was always the risk, obviously, when you're wearing undercover cameras, you know. I'd never worn anything like this in my life. So when you're wearing it for the first time, you're automatically thinking this button cam is so obvious, you know. But they just kept reinforcing me. Look, we've done this many, many times. No one's looking at your buttons. You know, no one's looking at that screw in your Swiss Army bag. You know, just relax, go in there. And so I think the the danger is just, it's, it's the danger of someone finding out that you're filming them and what happens next. What would someone do? I'm a fairly athletic guy. I'm not a huge guy, but I'm quite a big guy. And the people we were working with, we weren't dealing with, I want to say drug dealers, we were certainly dealing with drug dealers in some part, but not the drug dealers on the streets, you know, we weren't dealing with people who were carrying firearms or weapons, so it wasn't like going into the heart of of, of the, the hood and trying to go undercover and stuff, it wasn't like that, it was, we were dealing with medical professionals, so um, I think that the scary part was was just the adrenaline of being in that position where you know, if if you get found out, what happens next? Were there any fictional characters you studied when you were planning to go undercover? It was definitely an element of uh, James Bond about the whole thing. I had to look the part, you know, so it was a total acting mission for me because I didn't have really any money. Um, and they, But I had to play the part as someone who did have, you know, you know and I got to stay in five-star accommodation for the whole time room service on tap uh, we'd be bouncing from vancouver over to toronto and then we'd be going to the bahamas and then it was texas and there was a lot of downtime as well because every time the guy said right we've got to go back to washington now to deal with all this footage we've got we've got to do the transcripts we've got to edit it and so while they were all busy doing that myself and my wife at the time were just having a great time we'd be on the horseback around Texas or hiring a Mustang and going to see the sights. We'd be in New Orleans or Las Vegas and uh, Venice Beach, you know, training on the beach with the sun on our backs. And it was just an incredible opportunity. We ended up having Christmas in New York. And it was just, it was a one of a, total one of a lifetime. Can you tell me specifically what you would do to, to create an appearance that you were this sort of rich high roller? Um, that's a tough one because it's not all about Gucci suits and whatever, because the richer you are, the people tend to dress down. I think it was just a, a persona, always picking up the bills, always having quite a lot of cash on me and just kind of the blase attitude of it. This sounds to me incredibly fun. No, you're absolutely right. Bang on. I'd finished from athletics really uh, in about 2006. Um, I guess I'm an adrenaline junkie. You know, I was on the British bobsleigh team for a year. I love the adrenaline. I, I perform best when I'm under pressure. All my best moments are, are, are the moments everyone else is terrified of. That's when I'm at my calmest. So something like this was right up my street. And it was a lot of fun. Can you describe sort of the checklist you had when you were setting up all the cameras and audio, what you had to go through to make sure everything was in the right place? You know, we had cameras in phone cases, glasses, key fobs, bags, 
uh, lapel cams, button cams. We had a smoke detector video camera. We had um, a water bottle camera, which was crazy because you could still drink from the water bottle, but it had a, a camera in the middle of it. So the top half was water and then the middle, you couldn't see it. That was pretty cool. And in terms of audio, do you have an earpiece in, in case they want to tell you anything? Is there any way for you to communicate with people while things are going on? No, I had a list of things which I had to memorize, which was, um, and I could, I could check my phone at, at some point if I wanted, you know, it, it could easily be, oh, I'm getting a text message, you know, check the phone, check your notes, whatever. But generally speaking, I would memorize what I had to get out of the meeting, but the, the, when you were in, when I was in those meetings, what was the skill set was I had to a make sure all of the recording devices were working, b make sure I'm getting the right camera angles. It's not enough to just get someone saying it on a microphone. I've got to make sure I'm getting the right camera angles because we're also making a documentary here, and I'm 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 now the cameraman. You know, I've got to get the the, the bag at the right angle. The, the key fob at the right angle. Um, it's not enough just to get to hear them say it because it wouldn't make good viewing. So I had to get the right angles. Then I had to make sure when we got there that my body language was relaxed, that I looked the part, that I came across as confident. I had to have enough small talk to make them feel comfortable. I had to get them to, to trust me, to, to kind of warm to me and to be able and to be willing to drop their guard and give up enough information for us to carry on with our trail, you know? And it was quite difficult. During an undercover operation in Vegas, the cutting edge equipment threatened to blow Liam's cover. We had a cabana on the pool there and to entice this guy to come and try to tell us, you know, what he was involved in. You know, we had intel that we thought he might be involved and that we had a camera in the uh, all, all around with smoke detector cam. We had the cameras in, in in the all over the place under the seats. We had a microphone in there as well, just in case we lost the backup. But one of the one of the microphone one of the cameras I really didn't like, and the reason being was we had a Swiss Army bag, and in the back of it, the, the part that you'd actually wear on your back was it was a screw, and I I kept saying look you would never have a screw in the back of the bag because it would hurt you when it's on your back. It, it's out of place. And they kept saying, look, don't worry about it. It's, they're never gonna see it, you know? And I was adamant. I said, look, I really don't think this is a good place to have it. Time for a quick break. On the other side, Liam explains how he handled a dicey situation in which the person he was spying on realized he was being spied on. And I can tell he's seen, he has seen the camera. There's no question, he's seen the camera, so my heart's literally boof, boof. More from Liam after this. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. To set the scene, we're poolside in Vegas in a cabana, totally outfitted with hidden cameras and hidden microphones. Liam is doing his best to get his subject to open up, but things are not going according to plan. At one point, he starts looking at the bag and I, my heart was pounding. And he stops mid-speech and he goes, are you a cyclist? And I said, nope. He goes, that's a cycle bag right there. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? And he goes, this, this bag's a cycle bag right here. And he's walking towards it. And I can tell he's seen, he has seen the camera. There's no question. He's seen the camera. And this guy's about six foot four. He's built. He's pretty intimidating. And then he gets closer to it. My heart's literally coming through the chest. Thinking, what am I doing here? Am I going to just grab it and run? What do I do? And he, uh, he goes, I-, I said, look, I'm not a cyclist. I said, no one cycles in Las Vegas. You know, it's just I just bought it from Walmart or whatever. I just grabbed it and I just threw it to the side as if thinking, well, if there was a camera, you wouldn't just throw it to the side, you know? So I just threw it to the side and said, oh, it's just, it's just a cycle bag. And then he sat back down again, you know, they call it the sniff test. It, it passed the sniff test. He got right up close and thought, okay, I'm being paranoid here, you know? Liam had no problem getting doctors to reveal what illegal drugs they were prescribing and to which athletes but he quickly learned he needed to push these conversations even further in order to obtain a level of information that would hold up in court. I'd come back from a session and I'd be all happy. Hey, look, I've got some names. And the guys would go, this is great. We know who these people are. This is fantastic. But we need a lot more detail because these guys might just be saying that. They might just be making it up, you know, which, is, which could be their defense now in court. Oh, we were just making it up. Um but once we went back and we got the detail as to how often were you doing this, what specifics, you know, 
and they'd come out with, oh, you know, he's a real asshole to work with because every day he comes over and I've got to make up all these baggies of pills and I'm sick of doing it. And then he'd pull up his phone and go, look, 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 you know, this is such and such. He calls me like every two hours. And so once we had that sort of information, we then knew, okay, they're not bullshitting me here. These guys are working with these people. And we had no reason at that point to believe they were bullshitting us. And were you surprised with how good you were at this and also how easy it was to get people to start spilling the beans? Um, I was, yeah, I was quite surprised, but I can only put it down to the fact that having been an athlete for 25 years and it gave me a lot of information to build rapport with these people because we knew the same people. We knew the same people, we knew the same names, you know, the statistics. Um, and to have someone to talk to on a level was such a unique thing for them that they equally bonded of, oh my God, you know, why don't you come round tonight and we'll, we'll talk about peptides. Come round and I'll invite such and such a guy. He's, he's in the Major League Baseball and we can talk about stem cells and this and it. To me, it was just like, this is great, you know? That's like, a, that's like an ideal night in for me. You know, I'm a total geek when it comes to this stuff. A lot of it went over my head, but I knew we were recording it anyway. So I could raise my eyebrows and add little bits in just to hang in there and let him know I knew what he was talking about. And when they saw, when, when once they'd let me into their circle and they were able to say, okay, welcome to the Bible. You know, it'd be like that scene in American Pie, welcome to the Bible, you've earned it. And I just thought, wow, this is the information I came on this project to find out. You know, this is far more important to me and far more valuable than knowing whether Peyton Manning took HGH, you know? And while Liam never took any illegal performance-enhancing drugs during his time undercover, he did find himself in a compromising position as he waded into the dark side, or in this case, the backside. The most impressive piece of kit I did ever was probably something called pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. They were putting quite a lot of current through me, and it was a, kind of a kind of a click noise, and it was a little jolt, small jolt through the body. Must have done that for about 10, 15 minutes, and I was saying, "What's this going to do?" And he said, "This is going to uh, lubricate the collagen tubules. It's going to open up the cells in the body, which is going to make them more porous for oxygen dumping." And he said, "So now, what I want you to do is, I want you to now go and do o o ozone therapy." So I went to his bathroom set up the camera and I'm like guys the things I do for you I'm now putting a tube up my arsehole you know I hope I'm getting paid well for this so I've got a tube up my backside and it's a weird feeling because you feel like you want to shit yourself um, but afterwards I felt okay feel a bit clear-headed feel pretty good and he says okay I want you to now stretch and suddenly I was the most flexible I've ever been and I how does that work? He says, well, basically, you've, uh, along many other things, you've lubricated the collagen tubules, you've dumped an extra O3 molecule into the, the red blood cells, your body's really fucking happy. And I said, so that me, is that is that it now? I'm just flexible forever? He says, no, it's only gonna last 12 hours. He says, that's why this is something you need to do regularly. I was hooked at that point. I was like, that's, that's the first time in my life, other than a strong coffee, I've done something and gone, wow, this works, you know? And, it was a, yeah, it was, it was a total eye-opener for me. Absolute eye-opener. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like over the course of this, you came to be converted that what they were offering was, while unlawful, was actually not dangerous and incredibly effective. Well, I got into the documentary to find out what athletes were doing. I now feel I know that. You see, testosterone, steroids, all these things. Ultimately, they're all about speeding up the healing process, okay? It's all about regeneration, okay? How do you train as hard as you can? Because anyone can train hard, but how do you recover fast enough to be able to come back the next day and do it again? That's what it's all about. It's who can train the hardest. And so the same drugs that they were prescribing to help actors have longer careers and more collagen in their skin and better erectile function, better quality of life in their 60s and 70s. These were the same drugs that they were prescribing for athletes to win medals. And I'd always thought that the drugs which the athletes had taken were going to render them impotent, cancers, tumor growth, heart attack. People want to look like Marvel characters. They want to have better quality of life. They don't want to accept the aging process. So what's the main issue here with this, you know? And that was my thing, which was a revelation to me, was the, the, the thin line between in performance enhancement and life enhancement. It's okay for George Clooney or Brad Pitt to do this. They're not cheating. They're just staying young and looking fabulous. But if an athlete does it, it's it's terrible. That was the dilemma which played with me. But... I had and I and I, I aired that with the the team members and they kept reinforcing that look at the end of the day they're breaking the law and they're breaking the rules and they're facilitating athletes to win medals and these are guys who could have been putting you out the medals these these people who are winning medals synthetically are taking food from other people's tables who are doing it naturally you know and it, whichever way you look at it that's not right you know, it's not right what they're doing. And it kind of is a shame that that level of expertise is not able to be celebrated. But that's sport. you got to play by the rules. you got to play by the rules. And, you know, that's it. That's where the line's drawn. You break the rules, you don't play. One aspect of all of this that Liam didn't anticipate when he took the job was that he would come to like and admire the people he was duping. My biggest regret, really is that I don't still have a relationship with them because they were the most fascinating and they were geniuses. They were absolutely brilliant at what they did. It was really, really difficult towards the end because my job was to become these guys' friends. And when when you're dealing with people who are possibly on the spectrum in terms of autism, Asperger's, you know, I'm speculating here, but these guys were almost like savants. You know, they were people who weren't great socially, didn't have a ton of friends, were totally obsessed and dedicated to their field and to their work. And so it was really bad because right up until the end, right before the point where the letters were sent out to these people to say, look, We've been doing a documentary. You're a subject. Please seek a lawyer. And it was just a horrible, sickening feeling of 
I'll never have that friendship back. Looking back at this period where you got to be sort of this James Bond character in the world of sports drug cheats, can you sort of sum up the excitement that came along with it and all the um, ebbs and flows? I look back with, uh, with great memories. This was the first time for me to be part of a team, you know, which is what I love. But this was the first time ever in my life being part of a professional team outside of sport. So it was a wonderful opportunity. And to look back at all the memories of the, you know, living the high life and living as, a, as the high, playing the part as the high roller in um, hotels I wouldn't normally be able to afford. And, um, you know, just seeing America, seeing the wonderful world of America, uh, which was fantastic. I'm jealous that you got the experience. It sounds like a total dream and a once-in-a-lifetime thing, because once you, you're no longer, you can't go undercover twice once the story comes out, correct? Yeah, correct. You definitely can't. Uh, once you once your cover's blown, that's it. I think that's my time undercover done. I enjoyed it. It was a one-off. It was an incredibly unique experience. I never felt really at risk. They were always, they always had my back. I was only ever one click away if I was under pressure. And we did have some dodgy times in the Bahamas where it was really sketchy. I thought, fuck, we're going to get into some problems here. But, you know, we were, we were OK. But like anything, you don't take, you know, you, you, if you don't take risks, you know, you, you never you never realize where the boundaries are. All right, that's it for today's episode. A big thank you to Liam Collins for taking us on this trip over to the dark side. What a crazy experience that must have been getting to basically be James Bond without all the people trying to kill you. If you are liking the show, please rate and review wherever you're listening. It helps immensely. And join us on Twitter and Instagram at Trickeration. And finally, as we do at the end of every episode, we check in with the legend, Chris Mad Dog Russo. Chris, how do we do? Maddie, good job. Keep up the good work, pal. All right. Thanks, Chris. See you next week. Trickeration is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.